0: So it's funny, I grew up, I was very lucky. I hit the lottery. I had two good parents. I had an aunt and uncle that helped raise me also that were great in my life. I had a sister, I had cousins that were great. I had a good life, you know, tremendous grandparents. I always say I wasn't supposed to be an addict or an alcoholic. My younger years, I had a lot of fears. You know, I didn't read well, I had learning disabilities. Kids picked on me a little, I acted out. And my mother put me in Catholic school, my cousins in sixth grade. She thought maybe if I didn't get picked on, I'd do a little better. And I did a little better. In fact, seventh grade, a teacher of mine noticed I was gifted with numbers. I couldn't read to save my life. Boy, I could do numbers all day long. She was also starting to read books about the stock market because Catholic school teachers, they don't receive Social Security because they don't pay into it. So she was reading books, and one book said if you could draw it with a crayon, you could buy it. She knew I could draw with a crayon like any kid. and I was gifted with numbers. She gave me $50,000 of fake money, a subscription to Investors Business Daily, and she sent me on my way. So I invested that money, you know what, I did pretty well. So through the grace of God and through his teacher, I came in contact with the great Peter Lynch, which inspired me to go into this business. And then I was part of the feature of the Wizkid of Wall Street, which was kind of a doorstep into it. I went off to high school and I went to Catholic and lo and behold, the principal's retired broker who was there because he just got custody of his son. He wanted to be a good dad. He wanted to keep an eye on his son. We bonded. This guy, he would walk in a room and he'd be about 6'3", he had a presence. He just, he walked in the room, he owned the room which was so intriguing because growing up, you know, my mom was a housekeeper. She cleaned the office that night. My dad had two jobs. We didn't, I didn't walk in with a ton of confidence and we didn't have nice high-end clothes. And this guy looked like a million bucks. And he taught me how to have a presence. That guy gave me something nobody else could give. He helped me build self-confidence. He helped me try to in self-appraisal, meaning don't get too big on yourself. There's always somebody who's more successful or bigger or better. And he taught me the humility isn't thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less, and that's really important. And I've used that a lot over my lifetime. I've learned how to play a role in life. Know that I'm not the most important person in the room, and I'm not the worst. I'm just an average person in the room trying to play a role and help other people. So when I went off to college, you know, I was very fortunate. I knew what I was going to do for a job. I was going to be a financial advisor. So I didn't really get into the drinking and drugging party scene. You know, I drank a decent amount, but not obsessively. In my senior year, I actually stopped drinking altogether because I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a financial practice. And I went off and did that. And you know what? When I did that, I moved home with my parents after college. I said to my dad, I want to move back home. My father, at one point during college, he had asked me to move out because I wasn't living the way he would consider the right way. You know, my dad was a man of integrity. And he was a solid guy. And He asked me to step out and I did. We're going to graduate college. I said, Dad, can I move back in? He said, you can. But you have a 10 p.m. curfew every day and you cannot drink. I said, "Okay, see, I wanted to have what my dad had. He didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have that presence I told you Paul had, but he had integrity, and that was something I knew right off the bat. I knew when my dad said something, he was a man of integrity. He meant it. He was a solid guy. I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of good role models in my life. You know, my dad was a man of integrity, a solid guy. Paul taught me how to have a presence. My uncle, that was almost like a second father figure in my life. Every time he leave for work at night, he work at night shift. He'd kiss me and tell me he loved me." To this day, I remember that, you know, there's a lot of grown men, don't kiss me and tell you love, but he did. He mm-hmm. made me feel loved like I was his own kid. That meant a lot to me. So I graduated, I started my business in finance and it takes off. My parents, I wanted to buy a 2 family. I want my first property to be a rental property. My parents tell me find it. I buy it. I move in. I'm 22 years old. I own a house. I should be so excited. And then it hits me. When I was a kid, I had this overwhelming anxiety, overwhelming anxiety in high school I kind of buried it because I was so disciplined with everything else. But now this anxiety was coming to the surface and now I'm living alone. Luckily I'm in the financial industry and everybody goes out for drinks after work. So now I'm going out for drinks to everybody else. The difference is they go home and I go home and have more drinks cause I'm living alone. I'm a single guy making a lot of money and I have a big allowance, so to speak. And next thing I know I started having some surgeries and I'll never forget my first surgery. They gave me 16 Percocets. Like how sick is it that I remember at 19 years old getting a prescription for 16. And I only took them on the weekends. Me and my friend would take some because we didn't want to take them during the weekend. I didn't want to waste them on the pain. And then the script ran out and I was okay. He was like, I had another prescription. It was fun while it lasted. It wasn't until my mid twenties when they cut me open, and they found some tumors and they gave me the Oxycon that lights turned out. It was over. Next thing I know, I went from owning three houses, a couple of cars, business, some savings, some self-esteem, some, some acts like a human being. Within a couple of years, it was all gone. The house was in for closure. The cars were gone on the back of a tow truck. And now I'm selling TVs off the wall of my house for bags of dope. See, I was never going to be a junkie. I remember when they gave me the OxyContin. I thought, who becomes a drug addict at 25? Nobody. Well, I did. Next thing I know, I'm hooked on them. They had me on six OCA's a day, which is equivalent to about 900 Percocet. Then in the end, they said, in one month, we're going to wean you off. Well, when they weaned me off, I stopped buying them on the street. And all that money, the houses, everything else, it all went because I had to pay for drugs. Drugs owned me. The line of sand I drew was I was never going to spend money on heroin. I'd never do heroin. Pills would not have to stop. The day came, I had no more money. Friend had heroin. He said, you can just sniff a little, you won't be sick. And I did. The very next time I was with him, shot heroin i had it used i couldn't do it myself i looked away Within a week i was shooting heroin all day every day and it all went people ask what heroin is like i tell people when it gets to your body all your pain all your stress re- dissipates so does everything you love everything you've worked for everybody you value everybody you care for you just rip their heart and soul during that phase of my life if i was in your life i was a cancer during that phase i took a woman hostage you know we got married. It was a bad situation. It was a short-lived one. Um, she deserved a lot better, but I was very sick and I, I gave what I could give. After that, things got real bad. You know, I was on probation. I the addiction got worse and worse. Next thing I know, I'm getting from DUIs, resisting arrest. You know, the typical stuff that you do when you're drunk box. That's what I was. I was a sick, sick guy. It wasn't until I was held in jail one time, the guy who's now the chief of police and woman walks by my cell and I said, don't look at me, I'm just a junkie. Just don't look at me, please. He shook his head, he goes, Ryan, there was one perfect person. We crucified him. You're a good guy, you're just sick. It was the first time somebody looked me in my eye. And here was a guy who arrested me, telling me I'm not so bad. I did a very short time jail in Bill Ricca. I did a court alternative program where they taught me how to live. I didn't even know how to get up at the same time every day. I couldn't get to sleep at the same. Time. My body clock was so off. I was so physically sick. It was amazing to me. But one by one, God put people in my life to help me rebuild my life. During that time, during that window of all the tumultuous a gentleman named Bill entered my life. Bill was a guy from a 12 step program who tried to help me. I couldn't, have, couldn't take the help. He showed up to see me in jail when I was held in jail for a fight. I shook his head and he said, you hey, done. He laughed. I laughed. And I said, I am done. He asked my mother's phone number. I said, why? He said, because I'm going to call her and see if she's all right. So why are you going to call some old Irish woman and see if she's all right? She's going to be a mess because that's what we do. And he called her. I learned then and there what it took to be a man, a man in recovery, a man living the right way. And so that's where my journey began. And And I thought it would be easy. I thought, okay, I'll get sober and clean and things will get better. What I didn't realize was the underlying conditions. So what I didn't know was I was bipolar. I had these manic ups and downs that normal people didn't see. You know, there's a saying that, Normal people see things get upset. People like me see it, and the things are neon, and it's true. I had peaks and pits that you couldn't believe, and I had to find a way out, and there is a way out. I thought there was no way out. See, the good thing about drug addiction, alcoholism is there's twelve step programs, there's meetings you can go to, but if you're bipolar, if you get depression, anxiety, there aren't a lot of meetings out there. There aren't a lot of people in your corner say, "Hey, I can help you. I've been there." Truth is, it exists. We can help each other. There is a way out. So with you're struggling with drugs, alcohol, you're bipolar, you have anxiety, depression, or you simply feel less than you're going through a midlife crisis. Welcome. We've all been there. What this is going to be about, what this podcast, what this program is about, is cracking the code. See, every one of us can get pretty close to having our best life. Let's say it's one of those locks, those combinations, where you line up four different numbers. On a good day, I line up three out of four. On a bad day, one out of four. Very rarely, if ever, do I hit four out of four. Our job with this program is to help you to get that fourth number to line up to help you to get to know what's inside of you. We don't have the answer for you. Our job is to pull it out of you. So where do we go from here? Well, cracking the code is going to be about the following. It's part of rebuild Ryan Skinner. What I'm going to be doing with you and my team is this, we're going to help. First of all, we're going to have one-on-one coaching. We're going to have a weekly coaching call for the brotherhood. We're going to have guests on once a month. We're going to come together. There's going to be a mastermind group. There's going to be a brotherhood, a community, different teams. You're going to be partnered up with guys going through similar situations, but people have already walked through it. See, the best system I've ever been involved in is a 12-step system because it's completely altruistic. This isn't about making money. I already have a business that brings in revenue and I earn a living. This is about people coming together to help each other.